From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers. I'm David Bolander, editor of Finance and Commerce. Thanks so much for joining. Beyond the Skyline is sponsored by Ironmark Building Company. Whether it's a new luxury apartment building in the North Loop or expanding the community in the suburbs, Ironmark builds quality projects for discerning clients. Ironmark's foundation is built on a culture of collaboration with clients and projects that stand the test of time. Talk to Ironmark's award-winning team about your next construction project today. Go to ironmarkbuildingco.com. In this episode, Randall Dietrich, Executive Director of the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum, talks to FNC reporter Brian Johnson. Dietrich goes in depth about the new museum project underway at Camp Ripley, north of Little Falls. All right. Well, I'm pleased to be joined by Randall Dietrich, Executive Director of the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum. Just, uh coming off a groundbreaking event that I believe was held on Sunday for the new museum in um, at Camp Ripley in Little Falls. Is that right, Randall? That's correct, yes. We held our ceremonial groundbreaking and dedication of the, what, 32 acres up at Camp Ripley um, this past Sunday, um, Sunday, uh, September 17th. Great. Well, uh, well, thank you for joining us. And um, it's not often that we uh, just talk about a single project here on the podcast or in our Q&A, but this is a pretty cool project. So we're going to take some time to really focus on this and kind of the history of how you got here and uh, what what you have uh, planned, what's in store for us at the museum. So um, I guess, first of all, congratulations to getting to this point um, and tell us a little bit about the museum itself, I know it's, a, uh, I believe it's a 40,000 square foot facility and it will be unique in the nation. Tell us a little bit about that and what makes it unique. Sure. Um, thank you. I appreciate the interest and uh, I agree with you. It's something that we, we want to be talking about. So I really enjoyed the opportunity to speak with you today. Um, you know, it will be uh, probably one of the more unique partnerships in the country uh, when we are all done. Um, the construction process, the funding for uh, the design and construction is all uh, state supported, state funded, uh, which is unique in, in some right right there, um, you know, was a result of efforts at the state legislature over a number of years, uh, working with state officials, um, both on the left and right side of the aisle um, to bring together this plan. Um, and that resulted in a, you know, a $32 million uh, state funded building, um, Representative Ryan Cresha. Of the Little Falls area was certainly instrumental. It's, it's his backyard after all, but also great statewide support from other legislators in St. Paul. You know, Senator Nicole Mitchell, um, a veteran herself in the Senate, was certainly helpful. Uh, Representative Jerry Newton in the metro area um, also was a, a real advocate for us. So, um, you know, in one way, it being terribly unique is that um, the public-private partnership that it takes to make this happen at this level um, in this day and age, I suppose. Um, so that state money, that $32 million is all uh, state taxpayer money. And we certainly appreciate that. But I think we're going to put it to a, a terribly good use. 
Um, that's probably long overdue. And uh, what follows that public support, of course, is an ongoing private fundraising effort to outfit that facility um, with uh, galleries, uh, classrooms, and collection spaces um, befitting of service of veterans since statehood. Okay. You mentioned the bipartisan support. I saw, I look back on the story I wrote in April. It sounds like this was part of a bill that passed 131 to zero. So you can't get much more bipartisan than that. Um, so, but tell us a little bit more about now this replaces a, a smaller existing museum at Camp Ripley. Is that correct? And uh, tell us about that and kind of some of the expanded, um, programming and artifacts and things like that we'll, that we'll see at the new museum. No, you're absolutely right. And I appreciate you know, the follow-up story from your earlier one this spring. Um, you know, our current museum uh, has been in existence for more than four decades, actually dating back to 1976, so almost five decades at this point. Uh, it's been within the walls of Camp Ripley all those years. And so, um, you know, it really has been, you know, making the best of what we have, where we're at with, you know, what we have at the time. So um, over those decades, uh, veterans uh, came together um, to form this organization. Um, over that time, people have been donating artifacts and items from their own military service in many cases. So we've been a repository for those items for that many years. And we outgrew the capacity to, to showcase those pieces long, long ago. Um, we have something in the neighborhood of 80,000 artifacts under our care right now. So for your readers and listeners um, to who might have been to Camp Ripley to see our museum over all those years, um, what they see is actually just, of course, a, a small sampling of what's actually available. And that's not terribly unusual for museums, but uh, in our case, it certainly seemed to be coming rather extreme, um, where we had no capacity to, to showcase stories of you know, veterans post 9-11, because uh, we ran out of space for storytelling pre-9-11, 2001. So, um, yes, we've been there for more than 40 years. There was a, a clear need to, do, to have a new space. Um, to bring uh, our collection under one roof. Uh, our current campus at Camp Ripley is not one building, but a, a, actually almost a dozen small buildings, uh, which, again, has been great as a resource, but also inefficient for lots of different reasons. So the chance to bring our collections under the same roof as our library and as our museum gallery uh, is you know, a real game changer for us. And I'll just add quickly, you know, another uh, reason for the move uh, was our proximity to the airfield at Camp Ripley. So right across Infantry Road on the campus of Camp Ripley, which is some 53,000 acres, uh, lies our museum. And when C-130s fly in to do touch and goes or training for National Guard exercises, um, it's almost as if you can reach up and, and touch the bottom of that C-130 as it lands which you can't do, but it seems like you almost could if you uh, imagined yourself as such, which uh, from one perspective, uh, it's terrific. Uh, it's a terrific learning opportunity and interpretive chance to showcase and tell people about our current military and the important work that they do. Uh, because what will happen is you hear that C-130 coming from a ways away. Everybody exits the current facility to look up outside and see the airplanes right over the top of them, which is terrific. But uh, at the same time, predictably, um, the FAA um, did tell us a number of years ago that you know, for, for many reasons, not the best place to be located um, at the edge of an airstrip. So their instruction to us was to, to find a new site 
And thankfully, our board of directors, along with state legislators, have gotten us to this point here. And and how big is the current site and where exactly is it in relation to the existing facility? Uh, can, you, can you walk us through that for people who might be familiar with the layout of the area? Yeah, it's such a, you know, location is so important for, you know, every every effort like this, right? Um, and being inside the walls of Camp Ripley all these years, um, we've occupied a, a public space of about 5,000 square feet. So, if, again, visitors um, have been there in the past, about a 5,000 square foot space. Um, what we are moving to uh, is a building that brings together those individual buildings I mentioned, some of which the public can access and some of which they can't. Uh, but that will total a, a 40,000 square foot space. So to move from a publicly access- accessible space of 5,000 to more like 40,000, uh, again, is a, a great opportunity you know, to really showcase uh, in complete detail as much as is reasonably possible the stories of, you know, Minnesota's 300,000 veterans uh, who served since the Civil War. Um, so the space uh, will certainly change um, and the accessibility will also change as well. Um, there are signs outside of Camp Ripley. If you're in transit between the Twin Cities and the Brainerd Lakes area, you pass by the tank on the highway, which people often know. Oh, yeah, the tank there just north of Little Falls. And that's that's the exit for Camp Ripley. And that's where our current museum is. But um, to pass through the gate, um, the public is welcome to do so. It doesn't always understand or know that they can do that to see our public museum. Um, but in this case, that won't be an issue anymore. Our new location right off of the highway, literally um, right off the highway at 371, Highway 371 and Highway 115 uh, is are those 30 acres that were donated to us for this project um, and, and the chance to be out there um, right along the highway uh, is terribly important for accessibility. Um, I'd also note that, you know, in addition to the proximity and, and accessibility, um, being adjacent to the Little Falls Veteran Cemetery is also a, uh, an opportunity for us to, I think, to really serve Minnesota veteran families in a pretty dramatic kind of way. And I understand you've been working with HGA on design. Tell us a little bit about that and maybe some of the signature design features or the approach that the team took with designing this facility. Yeah, no, thanks for the question. Yeah, HGA has been our partner for a number of years in this case. They've been uh, patient with us for sure. Um, you know, they're a, a first flight uh, architectural firm, you know, with, with national reputation. But, you know, like other projects that you've maybe talked about, you know, the pandemic kind of felt the wrong time for our plans for construction. So uh, that necessitated a pause in planning and, and a refiguring in some ways. Um, so they've been great um, just to kind of weather the storm with us on that front. Uh, we're happy to be at the point where we are now. Um, they've, I think, come up with a design that that's fitting uh, a facility that will be part of Camp Ripley. Um, you know, a few design features that I'm you know really excited about uh, is uh, a, a formal parade ground on these 32 acres. 30 acres is a lot of a lot of land. We're not going to fill all of it. Some of it is going to remain you know, kind of undeveloped, uh, which is just fine with us because that provides interpretive opportunities to do camps for kids or outdoor exercises that we can't even fully imagine right now. But uh, we can imagine uh, and, and currently, you know, clearly understand the need for uh, a kind of a formal parade ground area outside of the um, main doors of the museum. Uh, that would be the location for change of command ceremonies that Camp Ripley has done on occasion and will continue to do. They sort of lack 
that currently. So to have that uh, formal uh, parade ground feel for part of that 30-acre plot uh, is something I'm really excited about. Okay. And so this museum will honor all branches of the military from all different eras. Is that right? It is right. It's, uh, you know, our board has been you know, pretty insistent. Camp Ripley and Little Falls, you know, Falls, you know, if you look at a map, it's, it's the heart of the state um, in, in many ways. And Camp Ripley itself, you know, uh, organized and founded in you know, 1930 is coming up on its own centennial anniversary here uh, in, in 2030. So um, it, in, in, it in and of itself, in some ways, is historic, um, militarily for sure. And so to be there in the heart of the state makes a lot of sense. Uh, we're adjacent to that cemetery. We're right next to the river. Uh, we're along one of the busiest uh, traffic corridors in the summer. Um, so being located there makes good sense for a, a whole bunch of reasons. But at the same time, our board has been pretty um, insistent that we have one uh, a statewide presence. So even though we hope and expect and uh, we'll develop a, a space deserving of a of a drive of a few hours, perhaps to see it. Uh, we also want to be active in all 87 counties and honor and recognize and represent uh, veterans from all 87 counties. Uh, beyond representing them statewide, we also want to make sure that our service branches are also represented. So, to your point, yes, exactly. It's it's really dedicated to uh, all service branches. Certainly, Camp Ripley, a National Guard facility, uh, will have uh, it, its share of information there. But our, our charge really is to represent all service branches in the entire state of Minnesota. And and what sorts of artifacts can people expect to see when when this is fully opened and yeah, is it? Can you give us a an a few examples? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, you know, there uh, it goes maybe expectedly from very small to very large, um, and both are equally important. Um, you know, at the heart of it really is telling veteran stories. Um, so, uh, stories uh, and artifacts related to individual veteran experiences is at the heart of what we do. Uh, those letters back and forth between loved ones, the diaries, uh, the photographs, the medals, uh, the keepsakes. Um, those are the kinds of things that enrich stories, right? So we want to organize everything we have around those individual artifacts of Minnesota men and women who have served. Um, you know, big artifacts that speak to that. Um, you know, the the, <laughs> the biggest uh, would, would in this case be uh, the sail and uh, rudder of the USS Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, Los Angeles class nuclear submarine that was decommissioned in 2008. Uh, was put into service back in 1984 by the United States Navy. Um, you know, we the, the Navy again decommissioned that large 360 foot submarine back in 2008. Uh, the Navy typically gives states and locales the chance to claim some part of its own naval history by uh, going out and getting the final pieces of that submarine, the conning tower, which is called the sail in this case of the submarine. Uh, was something they typically make available uh, after a number of years of, of unsuccessful attempts. Anderson Trucking out of uh, the St. Cloud area donated their services to go out and get that piece for us. In this case, it was pieces requiring, you know, four semi-tractor trailers to transport it back to Camp Ripley, where it is now. It needs to undergo extensive restoration because it was sitting outside for 15 years. But the plan is to then uh, restore it to its original glory and install it on the grounds of Camp Ripley. 
Um, so to have a, a submarine seemingly emerge from uh, the grasslands of central Minnesota will be a pretty dramatic piece. But the more true to what I was speaking of earlier, um, having that piece there is only good if we can attach it to a, a Minnesota veteran. So in this case, Neil Rondorf from Thief River Falls, um, of all places, uh, Neil, as a young man, a, a boy even, uh, was a voracious reader, uh, joined the Naval uh, Academy and became a submarine captain and happened to be assigned to, to this particular sub. So to have a Minnesotan um, recently uh, captain the USS Minneapolis-St. Paul and to have him on camera is what makes all this kind of come alive, at least for me and I hope for others. So that's probably the biggest thing that we'll have because it, it weighs 35,000 tons. Um, so it, it, it has a, a weight to it. And it's not the entire submarine, but it will certainly look like it, it, it is as it's emerging from uh, outside of those parade grounds. And then, you know, the, the, the smallest being, you know, uh, a Medal of Honor or more. We have several in our collection, you know, a very small item relative to a submarine, but you know, what the Medal of Honor is and what it represents and the fact that families have chosen to um, share those with us for the purpose of sharing with all of you, your readers and listeners, um, is, you know, a privilege to be able to do that. And so from something as small as an individual metal to as large as a submarine and, and tanks and helicopters and jeeps and rifles in between are the kinds of things that people will see uh, in our new space. Well, I would think that would attract interest from not just Minnesota, but all over the country, be something like that. And what about the submarine? When and where did that actually serve? And what era is that from? Yeah, it's a Cold War era uh, submarine. Um, saw service in the Mediterranean uh, during the first Gulf War. Again, went into service in 1984. Uh, came out of service in 2008. Um, and so, uh, and, and that actually speaks to one, two things. One, uh, back to the idea that, you know, okay, you say you want to represent all service branches. What are some examples of, examples of that? Well, uh, a submarine on the grounds is a good testament to our commitment to doing all service branches. There's, you know, there's not many museums that, that have that. So um, it, it's that. And it also speaks to uh, a real interest of ours to, you know, predictably and justifiably, we're going to tell the World War II story, you know, at Pearl Harbor with the boys aboard the USS Ward and the flag raiser at Iwo Jima from Richfield. And we're going to tell the stories of the, uh, the first Minnesota at Gettysburg. But, you know, we don't want to miss the chance, nor should we ever, uh, to tell the stories of Cold War veterans. And so this, this Cold War submarine is a chance to tell and delve deeper into the Cold War stories that, you know, frankly, aren't told enough um, because it, it gets overlooked, overshadowed in some cases by the more dramatic moments. But, boy, there are plenty of dramatic moments in the Cold War. Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the flag raiser from Richfield. I live in Richfield and he is, I, I believe he unfortunately passed away uh, not too awfully long ago, but um, he used to be in the parades and so forth and uh, 4th of July parades and yeah. uh, pretty cool to uh, have his memory preserved there as well. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, um, so how, do you, how do you display something like a submarine? Well, in that case, we're going to go back to our friends at HGA, right? Yeah. Uh, they're going to help. Uh, you know, landscape architecture is an important part of this experience. Um, so it will certainly be outdoors. Um, but we want to create the, what I'll say is the, is the, the a silhouette of a submarine. Um, 
as if it were breaking water and you, you'd see um, the wake of a 360 foot submarine uh, on those 30 acres. It's the, it's, it's the benefit of having uh, Bob Anderson, you know, uh, donate 30 acres to us is the chance that you can actually showcase a full sized representation of a submarine is what you don't want to do is, well, what, what would be regrettable is that to, to have the conning tower uh, emerge from the grass, of course, have it lit with the American flag on top and the markings SSN 708, uh, and, and then not do justice by showing people or at least suggesting to people what does the size of this thing actually mean. So to see it represented uh, in, in its full length uh, it is pretty compelling because when you see that, then you start to ask a whole ton of questions that you, you wouldn't be well suited to ask if you just had the impression that this is just an individual artifact. We're going to try to create uh, a sense of proportion and understand exactly what these submarines do. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole effort underway with Brooksburg um, from the Eastern Metro area to, to interview submarine veterans from across the state of Minnesota and gather those stories. Cause that again is, is a story that it, here in Minnesota, at least we probably don't think enough of. And there are certainly a, a good number of submariners uh, veterans here in Minnesota. And, and we're, you know, committed to interviewing a, a whole bunch of them to bring that sub to life. Well, that's fascinating. And I'm learning something here right now, too, because I wouldn't imagine uh, a lot of submariners coming from Minnesota. But, you know, um, I'm finding I'm I'm learning some new things, like I said. Um, so what what um, what can you tell us about? We had the groundbreaking on Sunday, the ceremonial groundbreaking. What can you tell us about the start of actual construction and, and what's happening there right now on the site? Sure. You know, uh, as a as a museum professional, um, I, I'm happy to say that uh, the actual management of the entire construction process is not one that falls to me, which I'm internally grateful for. Uh, in this case, you know, our partners in this in this effort, uh, the Department of Military Affairs, uh, you know, does this has done it for decades with armories that people see across the state of Minnesota. Um, this is one of those buildings under that umbrella. So thankfully, um, the experts who manage construction projects like this at the Department of Military Affairs, by extension, being part of Camp Ripley, you know, manage this process for me. Um, and that allows us to focus on interviews with veterans and gathering those stories. Thankfully, um, really appreciative of, of Camp Ripley for being such good partners. Um, having done the ceremonial groundbreaking this fall yet uh, before the, the weather changes on all of us, uh, in reality, you know, uh, Construction uh, will begin in earnest next spring uh, with the idea that construction is going to take 18 months, provided that our, you know, four seasons or two seasons here in Minnesota uh, work in our favor. So if we start construction in earnest next spring of 2024, um, 18 months would be completion about Veterans Day. If I can put it in, in those terms, uh, Veterans Day uh, of 2025, 18 months later. And then you know what we need to do is have some time to move those Jeeps and those tanks and those 80,000 artifacts and those medals of honor and the 15,000 books in our library and, and much, much more out to that site um, once we can occupy it properly. So what that means is uh, completion for construction, uh, probably Veterans Day of 2025, uh, a grand opening targeted for Memorial Day of 2026. Wow, that's quite an undertaking. Um, and I, I don't know if you can speak to this at all, but it seems like this would be a great 
project to have some sort of a special focus on putting uh, veterans to work on the actual construction? Do you have any goals in that regard or anything that, uh, you know, like I said, I don't know if you can speak to that, but is there uh, any goals for veteran participation in the project? Yeah, and that, that's a that's a terrific question. That's probably the best question we've gotten over the last year or so. Um, and yeah, because it, it's people feel good about contributing to it, I believe. Um, and we want to, you know, kind of profile those one those organizations, and then two, even those individuals that are coming together to to help make all this happen. Um, and so, uh, inviting uh, veterans to, to, pl- to have a hand in that is something that we're um, counting on, and something we want to. I mean, that's a story in and of itself. Um, you know, we talk about military history and again, you know, the global war on terrorism and Vietnam and Korea and, and, and all that. But um, and that's that's crucial. That's 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 the heart of this. But at the same time, um, taking the time and using the space to also tell the stories of how veterans have helped create that museum and how, for that matter, how veterans have built a lot of other things in Minnesota, um, supporting in any number of ways that people don't always track because there's not been a way to track it. So um, that's something that I'd love the museum interpretation to touch on is the contributions veterans have made post-service. But um, again, specific to your question, yes, uh, you know, Anderson Trucking, like I mentioned, uh, transporting the submarine pieces back to us, um, did that without charge. Um, There's certainly veterans that were drivers of uh, those pieces back here from Bremerton Naval Yard in Washington. Uh, Those veteran drivers had the chance to bring these pieces of naval history back to us. Uh, we have a World War II glider trainer being worked on. Um, we have Brooks Berg, who I mentioned, who's overseeing the construction and restoration of that sub, who's also a veteran. So uh, more and more, uh, kind of the word is going out that if you want to contribute, here's all, you know, an endless list and opportunities to, to participate and, and have a hand in creating this museum. So we're going to need a lot of help in a lot of different ways uh, to restore some key pieces that we have touched on and others that we haven't. Um, and then even once we're open, um, you know, want veterans to serve as docents in this new space. It's going to be a, uh, you know, I, I, you know, it's going to be a shiny space. It's going to look great. You know, it's going to be well lit. It's going to feel fresh and warm and welcoming. Um, but what really, in my experience, having gone to many museums uh, for the purpose of organizing this one is, you know, being greeted by somebody, you know, at the front door uh, who can answer your questions orient you to where you are and where you might want to go and what you might want to see and find out is really um, valuable. And so in that case, uh, veterans serving as docents, I think would be a great um, model to use because it, uh, it it makes that connection all the more powerful for our visitors. Absolutely. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Randall, and how you got involved in this, how you became interested in military history, museums? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's it's a lot of it is with the support of our our board of, of volunteers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I did have the chance to work for about a dozen years at the State Historical Society uh, mm-hmm. while there. Uh, worked on a, an intensive project um, that was entitled the Greatest Generation Project with General John Vesey, who was the chairman of the effort uh, to, to do that. Um, there's an exhibit that still resides in St. Paul at the History Center uh, that is uh, part of that effort from years ago, uh, and then had the opportunity to work uh, as director here about seven years ago at the at the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum and having met you know General Joseph Votel uh, out of the Lake Yelmo area um, you know head of central command up until just a couple years ago oversaw the effort to 
really eliminate ISIS um, when that was really at its height um, during the closing years of, of the global war on terrorism. Um, he was the first to jump into Afghanistan in October of 2001 with the 75th Rangers. Uh, so just the chance to work with all these fine veterans um, has been terribly rewarding and just an awful lot of fun, too, to hear their stories and try to do justice by honoring them and, and sharing their stories with others. All right. Well, it's a great project, and I'm really excited to see it coming together and uh, look forward to when it will actually be built and open. And uh, my father was a World War II veteran. I don't know if you can see here the flag in the background that was yeah. from his casket. He passed away in 1999, but uh, he, he would have been thrilled, too, to see something <laughs> like this happening, I'm right. sure. And uh, so good good for you and, and everybody else who made this project possible. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts, Randall, before I let you go? No, you know, I, I think I, if you'll allow me, I, I will send you just a link um to uh, a zoom meeting of our own um you know part of our effort having had, having done that dedication on sunday was to now hold on a monthly basis until the grand opening uh, so you know, next 30 months or so just a monthly check-in a zoom meeting that anybody's welcome to participate in uh, each of those meetings will have a different kind of theme or topic uh, touching on what are we doing with the museum how can we do it better is there uh, input from others uh, statewide that might want to join in to uh, offer ideas and perspectives? So it's meant to uh, open up communication with veterans and everyone statewide by participating in these virtual meetings once a month. And I'll send you that link, sir. That sounds great. And let's definitely keep in touch. And so where can people go to get more information about the museum or some of the meetings that you've been talking about? Uh, can you just put in a plug for that real quick? Yes, thank you. Uh, you know, the best place for people to, to track our progress and even provide their own input um, as we are developing these pieces uh, for the new museum is to visit our website. Uh, that's mnvetmuseum.org. So minvetmuseum.org uh, will be the location where people can find more information about the construction process and also information about how to join us on a monthly basis uh, via virtual meetings on Zoom to talk about various topics with the new museum and offer their own input and ideas about how to make it even better. Well, great. Well, thank you for your time, Mr. Dietrich. Good luck with the project. And uh, hopefully we can stay in touch. I, I, I welcome that. Yes, very much. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Take care. You too.